probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome to The Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me this week again is... Michelle Ashey from MichelleAshey.com. Yeah. <laughs> back again. Thanks again. for coming back again. How You're was, so welcome. How was your day yesterday? It was uneventful and thingless. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Okay. So, uh, we're talking about Minute 7 today, which begins with the uh, helicopter chasing the dog yet again. Beginning to see a theme here. It's um, a dog! And then ends... <laughs> With uh, Norris saying it's Norwegian, so we Obviously. finally learn a little bit about who these uh, who these mysterious people flying around shooting at a dog are. So I guess the first thing we see in this shot is um, this big open vista of the uh, of the helicopter flying over a a blue oil tank. Yeah, there's like oil cans everywhere, and I don't know why. <laughs> it's just Which, like think, totally random. <laughs> I think you had a theory for for it. Why? Yeah. I kind of thought maybe it had to do with the energy crisis in the early 80s. Because I think it was right around this time, like late 70s, early 80s, and oil was like running out. But I'm not from that time, so I can't remember. <laughs> well, and obviously the oil crisis was caused because all these guys in Antarctica are just leaving this oil Seriously. all over the place. Um, <laughs> I like I like <laughs> I like that idea, but I've actually believe it or not, I've read about what the deal with this oil can is, and it's far less interesting. <laughs> Technically, what they used it for was just a kind of a visual marker to tie those two shots together because we cut from one shot that was in Juno, the big open snowy vista, and then the next shot is at the actual base, which is in British Columbia uh, near Stewart. And those two, I guess, <laughs> I don't know why when they're shooting it, they for whatever reason, thought people wouldn't make the connection that they're in the same place, you know, because I don't know. Snow ties it together. Right? Like, it doesn't look that different to me, but Giant I guess, white empty plane. I guess maybe when they were there, it looks different, like, outside of the camera, because where the base is, there is not, like, a big open snowy valley like there is in the shot. I guess it, there's, uh, I think there's either mountains or a tree line right there, so maybe that's why, but yeah, it just seemed kind of silly, but that, that's why it's there. I'm not... and. Uh, 100% sure why it's so prevalently a Chevron. I don't know if they got it's like... product placement. Yeah, they got like a little <laughs> kickback from Chevron there. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of kind of strange. Um, well, that's why I thought, like, why would they have Chevron so, like, dominant in the shot? Unless it had to make, like, a, a statement about the energy crisis, but... I guess not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. When was like the Exxon spill? Maybe this is something, yeah. <laughs> something related to that. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. And but Exxon refused to be in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> Chevron stepped up. I don't know. Uh, there are no shots in this minute. No gunshots. The helicopter is really just kind of flying around. But we do the the helicopter flies like like kind of scary low, like really low to the ground, yeah. and flies right over the dog. And that's one of the times you can actually see the dog kind of jumps back a little bit. And I Aww. feel really bad. The dog is definitely scared. I think John Carper even mentions that in the um, commentary. Was PETA on set for this? Somehow I doubt. <laughs> uh, I think I have a feeling that there's a scene coming up later when PETA would have been really kind of 
kind of um, upset with John Carpenter. <laughs> so. I'm very interested. Like, this dog is running for a long time. Do you know, like, how many breaks it got? <laughs> yeah, I mean, do dogs get, like, smoke breaks and stuff? Yeah. I, don't, I don't really know the, the rules on that. Yeah, and I think, I don't know for sure, but I think this is still the other dog. This is not Jed, the dog who's, like, the main dog who's in the in the shots inside the base. I think this is a, still another dog. Uh, maybe a cheaper actor dog. I don't know. Just run. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they needed a lot. I mean, you know, Jed has to do some pretty, like, pretty careful, subtle stuff. Uh, you know, he's an actor dog, but this dog really just kind of runs around in the snow, I guess. So maybe maybe I would guess it's probably still the other one who they painted to look like him. So, so first of all, they just haul this dog up in the snow in British Columbia, slap some paint on him, and then they <laughs> run him run him around and chase him with a helicopter. For so hours, probably. I feel, I feel really bad for this dog. In the cold. He doesn't even have his little boots on. That's true. He doesn't have kitten mittens or anything like that. So, yeah, I do feel bad for this dog. But right when he does get scared is right when we're next to the sign for the United States Science Station number 4 which has a funny little sign underneath it. Yeah, Smokey the Bear saying, use your ashtrays. <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah, because one, they have oil literally everywhere, <laughs> just out in the open. But also, like, who's smoking outside? I don't know. You know, that's <laughs> funny. Actually, I didn't think about it. It's kind of, given that the era that this movie came out, and also the fact that we actually mentioned last week that John Carpenter is like a really heavy smoker, it's kind of odd that nobody in this movie smokes. You, yeah, you think... well, some people smoke the marijuana. <laughs> oh, well, that's true. That's true. I, I guess I forgot about that. Palmer is always token up. He but... has to use his ashtray. <laughs> yeah, nobody smokes cigarettes in this whole movie, which I ne- it never even occurred to me as kind of something strange. But I think I also think it's very funny that, you know, it's a Smokey the Bear thing, knowing that we know, know how we know how this movie ends, and we know that flamethrowers come <laughs> become yeah. a major part of this movie, which I doubt Smokey approves of. And I always thought Smokey was a forest-related bear, and there's no trees anywhere. That's like... <laughs> true. I'm not sure what's really going to catch on fire outside. Of, I guess the base. What could itself. possibly catch on fire? <laughs> yeah, obviously. So yeah, I thought that was kind of fun. I never noticed that. Uh, that you know, benefits of of having the the new uh, Blu-ray, the 2K release. So let's see, some other uh, notes I had. I really like that panning shot that ends on McCready's shack because it's kind of, it, it definitely, um, you know, we didn't really know where he was before. We knew he was like in his room, but we didn't know that was separate. But I like the way that shot that follows the helicopter and stops right on his shack as he comes out. It's just kind of nicely put together. And I like when McCready comes out. I think he's got some cool glasses. Very cool. I think he looks pretty badass. <laughs> Although he looks a little underdressed to be walking out in the in Antarctica. Well, he's got, like, his whiskey in hand. He's basically a pirate in this <laughs> scene. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is. He comes out with his with his bottle in his hand, and, you know, he's all... what He's, like, in his skivvies or whatever. Yeah. And then this scene also helps set up sort of the whole environment. You see the base. You see that they're isolated, and they're surrounded by mountains. Like, there's no way out. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. I mean... The previous minutes, the shots of just the helicopter really set up kind of the the emptiness and the bleakness of it. But this really sets up who our characters are and their place in that huge, you know, void of an environment, um, which is pretty cool. I had kind of a funny note about the helicopter. It's something I just actually found out yesterday that um, up until I think some at some point in this minute, yeah, when he's circling the base, we always saw the helicopter flying in one direction. 
And that's because when they first, um, these helicopter shots are like the first, one of the first things they shot. And at the time they only had one helicopter to deal with. So the American chopper and the Norwegian one are actually the exact same helicopter, just with different decals. And at first they only had one set of each decal. So they put American on one side and Norwegian on the other. So they could only show the helicopter from one side while they were shooting it at first until they could get a second set of decals. It's movie magic. Yeah, that's one of those (laughs) kind of indie indie movie trivia things that it's finest, just, uh, you know, ingenuity, finding a way to do it. And I would have never noticed that the helicopter only flew in one direction. So I thought that was pretty clever, I guess. So (laughs) this scene, we do get introduced to a couple of the characters. Childs is out there as we kind of saw him before. So I have some information from the script about all these characters. I'm going to kind of spread them out a little bit. We'll save some. But for today, we'll talk about Childs. In the script, the first page has like a a one-sentence description of every character. So for Childs, it says he's 33, 6'4", 250, and black. He is a a mechanic. Can be jolly, but don't mess with him. He's a badass, too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not entirely sure where the jolly part really comes in. Yeah, when is he ever jolly? (laughs) I don't know. He's always super serious. I haven't finished reading through the script yet, but uh, so far, yeah, there's nothing to indicate that he's really a jolly guy. He's, uh, He's definitely kind of a temperamental kind of he's like almost like a bully <laughs> maybe the maybe there's this deleted scene of him like playing the santa claus for their christmas or something <laughs> and that's where jolly came from <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about the only that's the only context the word jolly ever really gets used yeah. so that was i thought that was really kind of strange <laughs> he's a designated santa claus of this camp <laughs> yeah let's see i need flares a parka kerosene dog food Wow, who knew moving to an Antarctic base would be so expensive? And I haven't even started looking for roller skates and giant hats yet. It's a good thing I'm using Amazon so I can get the best price and get this stuff fast. And since I'm using thethingminute.com slash Amazon, a small portion of my purchase goes to help The Thing Minute to help support the podcast. Now if I can just get some of the listeners to use thethingminute.com slash Amazon, I might just be able to afford that flamethrower. This scene also gives the only hints as to what some of these characters actually do at this research base. Um, And it's like extremely subtle. I would have never noticed if I wasn't watching it minute by minute. But um, Childs and Palmer, who are both out here, are the mechanics. And Palmer's carrying around a wrench. And um, Childs earlier was, I guess, fixing the the tractor. Who knew? Not just getting something (laughs) out of the glove compartment. So who knows? The other two guys, Norris and Bennings, Actually, in the script, there's a little bit more. They're um, they're actually they're both the meteorologists, which me- very minorly comes into play later in the movie. But in the script, originally, they're actually doing something here. They're hanging up uh, or setting up weather balloons. They're like it's weirdly specific. They're like bright red weather balloons that are, they're hanging up here. So kind of sets the stage as to a little more about what they're doing, which is kind of interesting, but. I can see why Carpenter would not want like these bright red balloons floating in the middle of the camp. I think that takes away from kind of the isolation and the bleakness of the the whole (laughs) vision here. So uh, they ask what's going on. And um, Childs mentions that it says Norge on the side. And Norris is apparently an expert (laughs) on all things Norwegian. And he knows that that means it's Norwegian. So I have a little bit of information on, um, on Norway who uh, have been in Antarctica f- since 1929. They were one of the earliest countries 
for whatever reason to um, to do that. And I, I say whatever reason. It's actually because um, it was a way for them to avoid British taxation of whaling routes. So I don't know if they actually did whaling in Antarctica. I don't know if that's a thing or if they just used it as a as a, like a halfway stop for their their whaling ships or something like that. But yeah, they they claimed the island of Peter the First and then all the land around that island, which is called Queen Maud Land. And the other, the only other kind of really interesting thing I read about, although uh, there's a lot of really fascinating history about Antarctica and, and the different claims to it and things like that, which is, it's just, I guess it's just like one of the last places on Earth, and it's really the last place on Earth anybody wants. But you know, it's just you know something that people have fought over, which is strange. But the, one of the strangest things in particular about the Norwegian land in Antarctica is that the Nazis disputed the their claim in 1938, and they dropped um, they flew a bunch of planes over and dropped swastik, little darts with swastika flags every 26 kilometers all over the land, as if just like having like I claim if, this land right, like if they had more <laughs> flags, then that would make it their land. Uh, which just thought that seemed almost cartoonish. And like, yeah, that's highly bizarre. <laughs> that's very strange. But you also had to wonder, like, what? Why did they want it? What were they going to do with it? You know, they I'm probably sh- saw this movie and thought there were alien spacecrafts. See, I think <laughs> the original. That is, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some kind of a uh, like fifth Indiana Jones movie probably going to be made about this at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you know we'll, we may bring it up again at some point, but um, yeah, if you're ever interested in the kind of history of Antarctica, the, there's some great articles on Wikipedia that just show how it's divided up, and it's just very, very strange. And it's strange too because you have to think when you're in Antarctica, pretty much almost any direction you go is going to be north, basically, the closer you get to the South Pole. So it's really kind of difficult to tell where you're going to. I, I wonder if that was an issue pre pre-GPS, if that was kind of hard to even describe which way to go. Uh, it's like, well, you go south until you hit the South Pole, and then you keep oh, going wait. straight, and that'll be north. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of, I, was, it, I hadn't really, I've never really thought about it, but yeah, you look at the the way the map's divided up with the longitudinal lines, and they all head in one direction, so it gets kind of strange. So yeah, we're introduced to like, uh, I guess, a third of our cast here with um, Childs, Palmer, Norris, and Bennings. Well, yeah, at this point, you don't even know how many people are on the base or what you do. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think between this scene, the scene in McCready and the scene in the rec room, I think everybody's seen except for maybe Clark. I think Clark might be the only character that didn't wasn't in the rec room and, and, it, and wasn't outside. So, you know, he's probably hanging around with the dogs. <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, you don't really have a sense of how many guys are here, I guess. Well, I feel like for this scene, everybody is also not very, I guess they all seem kind of confused and like McCready comes out of his shack and he doesn't really seem to care that there's a helicopter flying around. <laughs> he's more, I think he's more curious than anything else. Curious and maybe a little drunk. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's more like hustle to put your gloves on and jacket on, I guess. <laughs> but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. And this is, you know. I think it is interesting. I wonder if it was a if when they're making the move, they thought about it being an issue that it might be kind of hard to tell some of these characters apart, especially given that they're introducing them all in like their winter wear. They're all wearing like essentially the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, McCready obviously has like a signature kind of outfit and, <laughs> and the hat and the glasses and everything, but the other guys all, you know, if you're not really familiar with the movie, they all look pretty similar. So yeah, I wonder if that was an issue, but. 
Yeah, this scene doesn't really do a whole lot to, uh, as great as McCready's introduction was in the last minute, this one doesn't really do a whole lot to establish anything about these characters. Like, you know, the whole child's description of being jolly, but don't mess with him. I definitely don't get that from this introduction. Um, It seems quite helpful in this. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so maybe not the greatest introduction, but there's some more stuff later. I guess this is just kind of, we're supposed to be catching these guys in the middle of just doing kind of their regular daily work. So um, since we've we've got a second here, Michelle, do you remember the first time that you saw the thing? Well, there's one of three options because I don't really remember. But the first time I may have watched the thing was at my grandma's house on VHS by myself in a room just because I was bored. <laughs> Uh, the second time might have been with you. Yeah, I'm sure we. I mean, we've definitely watched together a bunch. Yeah, I don't remember when, but we used to go. Like, we definitely saw it at the plaza that one time, on 35 millimeter. Yeah, like a special cinema. event. Or I saw it on the Sci-Fi Channel randomly. Yeah, so it sounds like, in, unless unless me showing it to you was the first time, and I don't feel like it was. I don't think um, it was, but I definitely didn't remember it. Probably because as well. I was like, "Oh, you don't remember?" I was yeah. probably like really obnoxious about it. It was all, oh, "It's like the best horror movie you ever." You remember what happens next, right? Oh yeah, it's pretty so cool. Um, yeah, I think you had probably. I, I've got. I got. I think I get the impression that you had seen it before. I mean, I had a pretty like heavy sci-fi childhood for sure. And Dad's horror, definitely a nerd. Yeah, so I definitely probably saw it early. So you, it, it sounds like the way you probably saw it the first time is really the same way that a lot of people did, which is you know seeing it on home video or on TV, which is how it really gained like a cult following. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I had seen it. Uh, my my cousin had showed it to me when I was in middle school or high school. I don't remember, but um, yeah, to get to see it, and I, I do. I'll never forget when we got to see it in theaters. That was a very very cool experience. Um, I would love to go see it in the theater again. Yeah, I was trying to remember if anyone out there from Splatter Cinema remembers what they what did they make. Yeah, so these guys, Splatter Cinema. Um, for those who are not and listeners who are not in Atlanta, Splatter Cinema. They're still around, but I don't think they do as much as they used to. For a long time, um, when I was in college, they would do a screening every month on like the second Tuesday of the month or something like that at uh, at the Plaza Theater, which is like a historic, um, you know, one one giant room. <laughs> yeah, one, what do you call it? One theater. Yeah. Just you know, one one, one single screen. But, you know, a real kind of classic movie theater has been around for a really long time in Atlanta. But, yeah, they would get a horror movie on 35 millimeter and show it on film. And on top of that, which is just awesome in itself, they always um, they always made like a little comic pamphlet that they gave out. They had like a local artist draw and they always did a really cool like model or setup. Or You know, they built one of the scenes like in the lobby of the of the theater. So I'm trying to think of some of the best ones. So you, you could come in and like get your picture taken with like you know, the monster from the movie or like getting your head chopped off or something like that. And Splatter Cinema is actually made by some guys who have gone on to do some really cool stuff in Atlanta with uh, special effects. They've been really involved in the the horror filmmaking community in Atlanta, which has gotten really big. But yeah, Splatter Cinema was like one of my favorite things for a long time. It was great. I remember being probably... We saw so many good movies. I know. I think <laughs> the first time... I want to say the first one we saw was Suspiria which yeah. I remember seeing the flyer up in like Criminal Records or in Wax and Facts or something and, and was like freaking out. Uh, it was actually the first time I saw Suspiria was in theaters, which is like such an amazing thing to be able to say. 
so yeah, big props to those guys for being for letting us see the thing and many many other awesome horror movies in theaters. It's a really cool experience. So I think that will probably wrap us up for today. So uh, any anything to plug, Michelle? Uh, no. <laughs> Just visit my website, michelleashy.com, if you want to look at some photos. <laughs> yeah, we um we went to uh, Iceland last year, so um, Michelle took some really beautiful and pretty amazing pictures of some pretty crazy looking vistas that you know the thing could they could make a thing movie in Iceland probably. Definitely. <laughs> so um, yeah, so definitely check that out. And uh, make sure to, you know, check us out on iTunes and give us a review. Rate us if you like the show. Or if you don't, you know, rate us, whatever. Um, but uh, check that out. Check us out at thethingminute.com and on Facebook and Twitter at The Thing Minute. And make sure to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. (laughs) 